So I want to start off with some advice, uh, and this is for everyone in the room, at least the illustration is for everybody in the room, but the advice that I often give is directed towards singles, okay? And so, and here's why, and this will all make sense why I'm kind of coming back to this. Oh, if you want a Bible also, uh, we have Bibles for you if you want to follow along. We're in Proverbs chapter 30. Just slip your hand up if you want to follow along with us in the Word. Don't feel weird. We do this every single week. We want you to have the Bible. If you don't have one, grab one now. Read it, love it. If you just know a friend that wants one, steal as many as you got, as many as we have, and just give them away. So um, I always give this advice to singles, and it's usually surrounded by the question of, well, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry, right? Like, who, who am I supposed to date? Uh, who am I supposed to be with? Or, or if someone's in a, kind of already in a relationship, like, should I marry this person? And people often come to me and like, well, how do you know, Vince? Like, how, how do you know that this is the one, Right? And I think what happens is the expectation is all the expectations that come from watching every romantic comedy that's ever been, you know, watched, right? So it's, it's Sleepless in Seattle. It's like, well, is there romance? And is there love? And, and it's, you know, like, do you, are you guys compatible? And, and do you guys share the same vision and mission for your life? And do you have the same interests and all these different types of things? And, and it's not that those are bad, but I never give those as recommendations on why to get married. So singles will ask, and I'll say, well, there, there's, there's two things. One, Ephesians 5 is, is going to tell you that you guys are Christ in the church, husband and wife. And if that's true, are you prepared to pursue your wife the same way that Christ has pursued the church since the beginning of time? Which means, are you ready to at all times die to yourself, lay your life down even physically that your wife might flourish? Are you ready to do that, right? And vice versa. Like, is this something you're ready to pursue? If that's true, okay, that's one. And then the second one I always say is this. I say, man, it, uh, find someone, or if you already have that someone, is this someone that you can do absolutely nothing with for the rest of your life and be really stoked about it, right? And for those of us who are married, you, maybe you're tracking a bit with what I'm saying, because most of life in marriage is kind of mundane, okay? And I say that really loving my wife and really loving my life and really enjoying our marriage, but the reality is, is that most of marriage is, well, like today, right? I got up around five, got ready, took a shower, brushed my teeth, got dressed, came to work. Once work is done later today, I'm going to go home. We're going to hang out with the kids for a bit. We'll have dinner. We'll put that down and we'll go to sleep. And then tomorrow, we're going to wake up and do the exact same routine again. And we'll do that on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then Saturday, we'll kind of maybe do something exciting like run errands, Okay. <laughs> Like, like a trip to Target is like, this is going to be amazing, you know? Like, I cannot wait for that little red circle to just come into my vision, okay? And so, like, most of life is just kind of boring. But what's sold to you in every single romantic comedy is that it's exciting and it's always adventurous, that there's just going to be experience after experience after experience, which just allows you to just always frolic through fields, right? You're always eating at the best diners in New York City. I mean, like, it's just, that's not life because stuff costs money and we don't have it, right? Preach. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> you know. Um, and so here's why this is important for all of us this morning, because the topic, our final topic in this series through the book of Proverbs is how do we deal with contentment in a world of consumption, right? 
Um, and I think this, this becomes kind of our last, this was intentionally kind of our last sermon because I think this one informs the rest. And if you haven't been with us, let me just run through what we've talked about. We did two weeks kind of on the heart and the mind really behind wisdom. And then we did self-control in a world of anger, purity in a world of lust, communication in a world of words, and love for the poor in a world of plenty. And today, again, we're doing contentment in a world of consumption. And I would say that contentment um, is behind a lot of these things, right? That we cannot find contentment and we consume, and so then we pursue other things, lesser things than God, which lead us towards anger, lust, malice, frustration, etc. everything we've kind of talked about. So I think in some ways, today is a crescendo, kind of this final, this moment for us to say, well, how do we do this well? I think it starts here. Now, as we begin to think through this world. Um, they, they paint an expectation of life over everything. It's not just relationships. It's all this type of stuff. And they try and craft this vision of what your life and my life should look like. And when we're not there, the answer is consume, right? The answer is take or get so that you can work yourself up to the expectation that they have planted. Now, this is not a new thing. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, right? So you have Adam and Eve, and they're experiencing perfection, right? They have perfection, everything at their beck and call. They have God, they have it all, and then there's this one thing they don't have. And then this little serpent, right? Slithers in there and says, hey, man, like, what about that thing over there? You don't have that. And you're not God, but you could be. And what do they do? Even though they had everything, there's one thing they couldn't have, and so they consumed it, and sin comes into the world. Now, some of us, we consume because we think that at a certain moment, we will have arrived, and then when we hit arrival, life will be good, right? Like, we can finally then step back, we can breathe, and everything will be fine. But if we look at Genesis chapter 3, if you really just study Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and you see perfection, Adam and Eve had it. They'd embodied it. They had reached the mountaintop, if you will, and they found out it was not enough. And so they pursued something different. So if you're sitting here and thinking at anything, man, if I just get here, then I will be fine. And you're, for, you're neglecting creation. You're neglecting the entire reason why sin exists in the world. Because we can never have enough. We have to consume. And the world does not help this situation because they constantly tell you, you're not enough, you don't have enough, and so consume until you get there, okay? That's, that, that's honestly the vision that we often get. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, henceforth why that's the advice I give to singles is, is, is not don't have expectations. It's not lower your expectations. It's to have the right ones, to have the expectations that, that God gives us and not the expectations that the world is going to say, no, you need to live up to this. No, God's like, no, no, if this is where contentment and joy is found, this is where kind of temporary happiness is found, then they're going to continue to try and sell you this reality of, man, you know what, we're going to give you the, satis the, the means towards satisfaction even though you can never be satisfied. That's every single commercial you've ever watched, right? Every, every single commercial you've ever watched. We've talked about this here before. Like there's, um, I watch a lot of football, you know, because I'm a man, and, uh, and so, but on foot, it's really ironic. I mean, so on foot, you know, watch a lot of football, and one of the top commercials that they show is for this little pill called Cialis, and, uh, and this is not a story about me using Cialis, so let's just put that out there right now, okay? Um, 
But on that commercial, if you remember, all of a sudden they're like, hey, this is what life could look like if you take our pill. And one of the things that's in there are these two bathtubs, right? Where they sit outside in bathtubs and just look over a beautiful field. Now, here's what's funny. As I watch, I've seen this commercial like a thousand times, and I'm literally thinking to myself like, what would it take to get some bathtubs in my backyard? Like, that could be sweet, right? And I'm, I'm like, this is legitimate, like, crazy thought. Like, man, I wonder we could probably, if we just got some buckets. Like, even the logistics of it is just silly. Like, you, there's no pipes, right? There's no drainage. So I don't know how they're doing this, how they keep it warm, right? But you do it, and they paint this picture like, hey, if you want to experience the good life, what you need is this vision. And then they show all these different scenes, one of which are bathtubs outside, which is absolutely obscene, right? There's people looking over your fence. It's just awkward. But here I am watching this commercial thinking to myself, I could do for a couple bathtubs, right? Because what's happening in every single commercial you watch and it's not just television, it's everything. It's a billboard, it's your friends, it's when you walk into a store and they're, listen, they're paying people to market you, right? To, to, to come to your heart and to pull your affection towards it saying, your life could be this and here's our product to get you there, right? And then they craft this vision and then you begin to want things you didn't even know you wanted. And what happens is those wants oftentimes become needs. Now, to further emphasize that this is a big problem, something we need to deal with, uh, I was looking at um, kind of just some vast discrepancies in our world, and Anthony kind of hit on one of them last week, talking about kind of loving the poor in a world of plenty, just the discrepancy of the poor existing with everything that exists in resource-wise in our world. But I wanted to go through some of these crazy disparities with you, food being the first one. Um, did you know that across the world, we produce enough food for 10 billion people, Okay. 10 billion people. So the world makes enough food for 10 billion people. There are 7.6 billion people in our world today, okay? Yet, about 850,000 will go to sleep hungry tonight and malnourished, okay? So, so again, 10 billion is what we got. 7.6 billion is how many people exist, and yet we have this almost 1 billion person population that doesn't have access to all this excess, okay? Now, now hear me, and all the things I'm going to share right now, I get they're complex. There's other reasons to them. It's not as simple as, hey, we all make it, so just come to the store and get it. I get all of that. But the vast discrepancy needs to call the church to wake up because we're supposed to be the hope and beacon of, of light to the world. Okay? Um, the second one is uh, children. This is just in America. There are 125 million households in America. Okay? 125 million households in America. There are 450,000 kids in the foster care system across our, our nation. 125 million households, 450,000 kids, and 30 to 33 percent of them don't have homes, okay? So you have 125 million households, homes, 450,000 of them, and only two-thirds of them can actually find a house and a family to live with. So, so again, like this, this, this discrepancy is, is foolish. Now, to take that a bit further, there are 400,000 churches in America, okay? 400,000 churches, and we're all reading James 1.17 together that says pure and undefiled religion is this, that we should care for orphans and widows in their distress. So, so what, what are we missing when there's 400,000 people who profess the Bible as being authoritative and calling the church to some type of life, and we can't find homes for 150,000 kids? 
And these churches are obviously filled with millions and millions and millions and millions of people in some of that 125 million homes. Now, again, we've talked about this, and I don't want to continue to belabor the point. That does not mean that everyone in every church must adopt a child or must foster kids, but we all need to be part of it. And some of you, God will call to doing that. And we need to open up because, again, the disparity is significant. Okay, another one, shelter. Um, there are six empty homes in America for every homeless person in America. Now, now, again, listen, I know it's not as simple as just like, hey, dude, here's a house, right? Like, so the, but but to, to begin to think through in this idea of contentment in a world of consumption, that there's six empty homes in America for every homeless person in America. Like, this kind of has to cause us to wake up and begin to ask some better questions. Um, and then the last one, this one's just the low-hanging fruit of this season, right? Holiday shopping. So um, this year, okay, uh, we're looking to spend 700 billion dollars during the holiday season. 700 billion dollars during the holiday season. That is a lot of money, okay? 700 billion in just a month-long time. Now, statistically, and, and you could find all sorts of things you could do with 700 billion, but let me just share one kind of again in this vein. Uh, UNICEF, the UN, kind of every major food organization in the entire world, circling back to our first discrepancy, says it would take, on average, it kind of somewhat come to a consensus, although, you know, there's varying numbers, that it would take about $276 million a year over the next 13 years to eradicate the 850,000, 850 um, million people that are going underfed and malnourished, okay? So, so again, this month alone, we'll spend $700 billion it would take us $276 million a year over the next 13 years in order to eradicate hunger in our world. Now, again, is it more complex than that? Would it take maybe a bit longer? Yes. I mean, but again, the discrepancy is insane. And so all I'm trying to point to, because none of this means, hey, don't buy presents for your kids. It doesn't mean don't get something for your wife. Don't get something for your husband. Like we, it doesn't mean that on good... Black Friday, I always get Good Friday and Black Friday mixed up. They are very different. <laughs> uh, so on Black Friday, I, look, I bought some stuff. I couldn't resist. I was like, damn, that is a good price. Click, you know, so like, so I, I get that, right? So it doesn't mean have nothing. It just let us step back and maybe ask a question or two of, do we need this? Or, or is this just me striving for an expectation or to fill something that maybe actually isn't going to be as fulfilling as I thought? Okay. Maybe there's some differences that we need to look at. Okay, and so um, here we go. Uh, we're going to jump into the text now. Proverbs chapter 30, if you want to open there. Um, what I love about this text is we're going to start off, and, and the Proverbs 30 was written by this guy named Agar, and I think Agar, Agar, and uh, the son of Jakey, I think it is, or something. And... Um, he, he, this is the only proverb he's written in the entire book, um, and yet it is one of the most profound. And what I love about it is how he starts off uh, this, this kind of collection of proverbs. It's kind of this encouragement uh, and this honesty about himself that I think we must adopt as well if anything was just convicting. Because as I was going through all this stuff and, and, and learning and studying around kind of when all of the consumption that's even in my own life and then this, this move that the Bible and Jesus has for my contentment, and I was convicted, right? And I was like, well, what do I do now? And I think we have to start here. Like, I think we have to start where, where Agar starts. And so let's look in verse 1, and let's read a little bit. The words of Agar, son of J.K., the oracle. 
The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, and who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So before Agur begins to really dispense any true wisdom, kind of any of these normal proverbial nuggets that we've gotten throughout this series and throughout the book of Proverbs, he kind of starts with himself. And I think this is really important for us because I think oftentimes, and this is me all day, I want to charge ahead and fix every issue at the drop of a dime. Right? When I hear something's going wrong, well, i got to fix it. This happens a lot with Verity and I in our marriage where she says something's wrong. Like, well, I'll just fix that for you. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to empathize at all. Right? That never goes well. Okay? And so my proclivity, and I think oftentimes our proclivity, is just to charge ahead and fix it without doing some of the internal heart work and mind work that is necessary to do contentment well. Right? So what we get, I think, are four different things that Agar acknowledges right on the front end before application that I think we need to as well. The first one is, number one, God, I'm not all together. I'm tired. Right? That, that I can't just charge ahead. Like, I'm just not, I'm not capable. I'm not perfect. I'm not you. And, and so every part of me that just wants to charge ahead and fix everyone's issues and be that guy, man, that's not healthy because I'm not that guy. And when I try and become that guy, I wear myself down to an unhealthy level where I'm actually unhealthy to myself nor anybody else nor probably even helping God. And so we have to start off with, man, I'm not nearly as great as I thought I was, okay? Um, the second one is um, I'm not nearly as smart as I think, okay? And this one's a tough one to acknowledge. I mean, I love that, like, he, he's, God, I'm, I'm stupid in comparison to you. Like, I don't have the mind, God, that you have. I don't have the wisdom that you have. And yet we walk around this earth and the way we talk to people, the way we engage often all sorts of problems as if we're already an expert when that's just foolish. We're not. Like, most of us are, are not all that well-trained or taught in a lot of the things that we decide to step into. And we need to learn, we need to listen. So again, with this, with this kind of church too, and we're talking about like serious, like serious, heavy, even systemic like abuse within the church, within the bride of God. It's not just, all right, well then let's just do something, right? It's, man, we need to listen a little bit. We need to learn a little bit because we're not nearly as smart and capable as we think we are. And I think we have to start there, that if we want to be a people who truly pursue contentment, uh, that we need to acknowledge, man, we can't do this by ourselves. Like, we can't just work hard enough to get this figured out. Um, number three is uh, that God, on the other hand, uh, different than us, is altogether, is perfect, and is self-sufficient, and is wise. So in all the things we're not, he is. In all of our uh, kind of insufficiencies, he's completely sufficient. In all the ways, man, we try and clamor for fulfillment, he already is fulfilled in and of himself, right? And so because this is true, right, because that's who God is, man, we... We look to him. God, God, help me. Ask him. Talk to him. Engage with him. Spend time with him. And then lastly, point four is um, God's word is truth, a refuge for all, and I desperately need it. And so you, you get this by Agar right at the start. Before he starts dispatching any kind of wisdom, he says, here's who I am. I'm, I'm kind of a, a broken, stupid guy. 
who needs help from the one who is not stupid and who holds everything in his hands, who is the author of this world, who created everything. And so again, if we want to be a people, we want to be a church that pursues contentment for the sake of our own joy, for God's glory, and for the mission to the world, then I think we need to start with these things. We're not that great. God's really good. So let's go to him and entrust him to do the work to change us. Okay? Then we get to the wisdom part, and we get to some of the things, and we'll, we'll get some application to this. So in Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9, let's move to that now. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. So Agar's request, right, after all of this acknowledgement of who he is, who God is, and how to take that next step, he goes to God and he entreats them and he asks them, and he asks them this question, hey, don't make me super rich or super poor. Don't make me super wise or super dumb. Like, I want to kind of fit in this healthy middle ground. I want to be content. I don't need all that. I don't need all this. I need to kind of just live in this content space. Because if I don't, God, if I have too much, I know my own heart, Agar says. I know my own heart that if I have too much, I'll just forget you, think it was me, and leave you behind. But if I don't have enough, I, I know my own heart that, man, you know what? I'll just do whatever I can to try and earn it, prove it, or get it so that this way I can fulfill myself. And so, God, don't, don't, don't let me be here or, or don't let me be here. Like, l- let me live in this content middle. And, and this, this vision for life is drastically, empirically, experientially different from the one the world tries to sell you and I. Because they just say, get this, chase this, buy this, own this, get here. It's better than here and here and here and certainly there. And so do whatever you can to consume your way to this. And that's what everything in our culture is constantly built on is this movement to try and get you to buy into that system. So, man, if the Bible's saying, no, we'll put the brakes on that, we're obviously wise to listen. Okay, we're obviously wise to listen. Now, um, <coughs> um, we're going to look at kind of a handful of specific ways where I see us doing this. And, and maybe they're just me, and maybe they're just things that I've battled or struggled with in my life, areas where I feel like, man, I consumed to get there. And I'll tell you, it, maybe I don't touch yours, right? Maybe, maybe I don't get to the, the thing that maybe you're trying to consume to achieve or get to a certain type of fulfillment or satisfaction. Um, but I would say insert anything after this line, and that's your thing. And you can have multiple. But if you've ever said or even thought to yourself, even in a moment, right, if only I had, if only if there, if only I could, right? Like, and it's all those things, and then you don't end that sentence with Jesus, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, God, him, God the Father. Like, if you, don't end, if you don't end it with that, it's probably this and something we need to work on. And so we're going to look at a, a handful of those. So the first one is relationships, right? So if I just had him or her, right? Like, so if you're single, right? Like, if I just, if I just had someone, 
If I just had that guy, if, if I just had that girl, like if I could just have this person, man, then, then, then I'd be good. Life would be good, right? Like I will have arrived once this person is given to me, okay? And, li- and listen, I, I mean, I, you know, was, I dated a little bit and then I met Verity and I was like, man, that's the one I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue her. And I thought, man, I, once, once I get Verity on board, it's smooth sailing relationally from there, Okay. And it kind of has been, right? That, that she, so I, I trusted this woman to kind of give this fulfillment. And, and, uh, and hear me when I say it was just okay. I mean, it's great, but in comparison to the expectation, it didn't meet it, right? And so if only I had him or her, that falls through all day. Now, some of you were already married like myself. And some of you are thinking, if only she did this less, or, or if only she did this a bit more, or if only she stopped, or, or if only she also, and then on the other end, if only he, if only he did this, and you get where I'm going, right? So it's always, man, if, if they would just change this thing, right? Like if they just stop doing this, like for Verity, I honest, and this might just be true, if Vince would stop snoring, life would be so good, okay? And it, like, not true. Okay, because now Finley sleeps in our room and he snores too. Okay, so if you chase these things in your marriage, man, I guarantee you're going to be left wanting. Because you're always listen. They're never going to get there, right? And you know that cognitively. Like I think we wrap our minds around, yeah, my wife will never be perfect, my husband will never be perfect. But you treat them and you act and you ask and you suppose even internally as if they can. And so if only she would, no, man, that, that is not contentedness. And I see the hole in that with us. Um, the next one is, is our finances, right? And so this is just uh, oftentimes when you start getting into the talk about consumption, you, you generally kind of go towards finances. If, if only I had a little bit more. Now, recently, a couple things. They did, they did a study where they studied every single bracket. And it was from uh, if you made 20000 to 30000 30000 to 40000 40 to 50, 50 to 60, on, and on and on and on. At every single breakdown of $10,000, at every single bracket, when asked the question, how much more money do you think you would need to make to think you've made enough? And every single one said about 10% more, okay? There was not a change at any level. If they made twenty to 30000 like, you know what, honestly, like 10% more would do it, okay? If you're at 100000 yeah, you know what, give me about 10% more. That'll take care of it. At 250000 you know what? Give me 10%. At every single bracket, that was a number. They just needed 10% more than that could pay the bills. That could, no, see, that's just foolishness. See, what that obviously shows is that, I mean, no, it's not about the number, right? Because what you end up doing with that number is you just fill it with more crap you don't need, okay? You're like, oh, well, I guess now that I have this, I'll spend more money on other stuff I don't need, which I didn't even need before. And so we continue to consume. Inspecting that finances were going to get us there, and you know what? They just never really get us there. And what you see in Agar again in his entreatment of God is this desire God, give me what is needful. Feed me with food that is needful, not food that is wantful. And this entire world again is trying to convince you that the wantful things of your life are needful things, and they're not. And I buy into the same stinking story all the time, right? 
that these things that I want, I, I look at them and they have this beautiful glossy sheen on them. And so I say, you know what, actually, let's move that over to the knee golem. And then that justifies my lack of stewardship in my finances. Where the Bible is going to call me to generosity, self-sacrificing generosity. But what I've done is I've created once into needs, which allows me to justify then the fact that I'm not fulfilling the biblical mandate to serve others more than myself. That's not annoying. <laughs> you can do it? Oh, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. If we need to turn this off, I can just yell too. That's not a problem. Um, and, and so I, I think what does it mean then for the church, for, for Christians to take the Bible seriously and then pursue what is needful? Does this, now hear me. Does this mean you can never have the stuff you want? No. Like God does not exist in that type of kind of rigid parameter. But he is saying, ask the question, guys. Like, ask the question. And I would say this, that if your wants trump, right, trump the responsibility that God has called you to for the needs of others, you might need to re-question things, okay? In wisdom, right? I understand you're not just throwing money to anybody that you know or don't know on the street or on the side or a neighbor or whatever. Like you do it in wisdom, you'd be a good steward of your finances. But I'm telling you that if your wants, which you have converted to needs in order to justify your situation, if that's what you're doing, if that is trumping, right, your responsibility, your necessity to be that light in the world by what God's given you, then it might be a problem. Okay? And so let us at least ask the question. Okay, um, the, uh, the next one, status, right? If I was just a little, a little more popular, people just liked me a little bit more, if I just had a few more followers, which, you know, like that's not that's kind of a weird thing to talk about, but man, I, I'm gonna be honest, like status was a driving thing for a lot of my life. It was like, man, how do, how do I become the most popular, the best? Like when I, so when I was a senior in high school, they gave out senior bests, you know? And so I, I won what our school's equivalent was to most popular, right? And I literally thought I arrived on the top of Mount Everest. Like I was like, well, life, I could die now. Because at Temescal Canyon High School, in a class of 500 people, I was most popular. Right? And, and I chase, these, chase status, and I chase, and I want people to really like me and think I'm this and think I'm that, you know? So that I, I did things, and I stepped on people to kind of get there in this pursuit. And, I mean, obviously, again, high school senior award means absolutely nothing. But when I was there, it didn't feel any better than it did the day before, right? And, and you talk to anyone who's kind of reached the mountaintop in that, and it's, it's just okay, Sometimes it's far worse than that. Okay. And yet we clamor for it. We desire it. We consume people to get us there. And we consume things to get us there as well. Um, the next one, a few more here. Life. Um, if life was just a little bit easier, if life was just a little bit less busy, then I would be fine. If I could just have a few more hours of free time, right? If, if this person was just a little bit nicer to me, and so again, our, none of those are bad requests. Like I would love to have some more free time too. Like I, I would, like I remember being in college, and I remember thinking at that time, right? I was working a couple part-time jobs. I was in school. Uh, I was uh, running. Uh, I was running Campus Crusade for Christ at San Diego State, and I was on staff at a college ministry at my church, right? 
And so I'm doing all this stuff, and I remember thinking to myself, like, man, when I graduate, I know I'm going to go into vocational ministry, and all of a sudden school goes away, and work and ministry collide. They're the same thing. Life is going to be grand, I'm just going to smooth sail for the rest of life. It won't be nearly as busy. And then I get to today, and I'm like, well, that didn't work, right? Because other things then fill our time. Other things kind of come in, and so the change of your circumstance is never going to lead to your contentment. And yet you pursue the change of your circumstance, and I pursue the change of my circumstance all the time. The last couple, place, if I could just live there, right? Like if, maybe if it's even within the same city, if I could just live in that neighborhood, if I could just have that house, if I could just have those neighbors, right, that, that type of thing, if I could just live there, then, oh, it's foolish. Right? If, I, if, uh, you know, if I could just live in that city, I mean, I lived in San Diego for like, Eight years. I mean, it's God's favorite city. It's undeniable. Look at the weather. Best surf. It is just incredible. And yet it was all right. I don't want to move back. Right? Acts 17 will tell us that God appoints the times and places that you dwell intentionally, that you live in Flagstaff, unless you're visiting. Okay? Thanks for visiting. But wherever home is for you, there you go. Um, you know, if you're living in Phoenix now, which is foolish, you should move back. Um, <laughs> wherever God has you, he has you there intentionally. There's a famous line, right? Bloom where you're planted. Like, if God's planted you, you know, you need to bloom here. Put down roots here. Engage here. Invest here. Be about here, because this is where God's got you. Don't always dream of, man, one day I'll get there. Okay? Because you'll get there, and it ain't going to be that great. You'll have the same issues, and then you'll be like, ah, I wish I lived back over here. Okay? And I've seen it over and over. Um, the last, last one. Uh, if only my church, right? If only my church just did everything the way I wanted to do it, okay? Um, if only they believed everything that I believed. Now, there are certain things, right? Please cling to sound doctrine and orthodoxy and all this is great, please. Uh, but there's some stuff. Like, we've, we've literally received emails in the same day. Like, I've, I've received personal emails in the same day, one saying, gosh, man, you're just way too honest from stage. You need to kind of put a tighter, kind of a tighter, uh, tighten the jar, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, you know, tighten the jar. Uh, like this. Lid. lid that, tighten the lid. There it is. You know, tighten the jar. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can't get no help up here. Um, like, tighten it up, man. Stop sharing so much because you're doing that and people can't follow someone that's that honest. Like, if you're that messed up, people won't follow you. So I've had people, and in the same day, I got an email from someone else saying, I just love how honest you are. Like, you're just so open, it makes me want to follow you. Right? That's, and so I'm like, what the heck do I do with these? Okay? Our worship, right? Chris is, is like, puts in so much time and energy and all of our worship leaders and directors over the last five years. We've had on the same day emails saying like, gosh, man, that music is way too loud. You need to turn it down. In the same day, we've had emails like, you ever thought about turning the, the music up a little bit? I can hear myself and I don't like it. So what do we do with that, right? Like, God, we're going to upset somebody when we live in a world of consumption when this place becomes about you. And that's just true about life. When you make it about yourself and your circumstance and your pursuit of contentment because you think if you change some things, you'll get there. When that happens, man, you hurt other people too. And you affect the body. Okay? And so what does it look like for us to say, you know what, circumstances, they're just going to change sometimes and sometimes they're not going to be the best thing for us. But your contentment is not based on your circumstance and you have to believe that and so do I. Because we strive all day long to change circumstances. 
get another little thing, move to this other little place, have this little thing at our house, do this type of remodel, get this person, have this person change this about them, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get to the next one, you're like, well, what's next? What's the next thing? Because you never truly arrive. And so what is the final answer? The gospel. And that can't be a surprise, hopefully for many of us, that Jesus is the answer. And so let me read from Philippians 2, 1 through 11, where Paul says this. He says, so, and he's talking to the church, and I kind of want to read this almost as like kind of a, a prophetic voice like over our church, not me being a prophet, but like Paul's word prophetically speaking to us this morning. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Okay, so if you care at all, right, like church, if, if, if Jesus is at all, right, yours, okay, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. It's love Jesus. It's learn, follow, engage more with Christ, your Savior and the spirit that resides in you to pursue what he has pursued, to be like him, to humble yourself and to care for others. So um, what I find often funny is we say, I don't know if I can ever get there. And at a certain level, I agree with that. But I often do find it funny how we are able to be content in a major other area of our life, and that area is sin. That oftentimes, man, we're like, ah, I, don't, I can never really be content. I would, no, man, you're pretty content with your sin, friend. And I can be very content with my sin. It's not that big a deal, right? So I'm not going to pursue change. But man, do you say that about your finances? That's eh, not that big a deal. I'm not going to pursue any more of it, right? Do you say that about your lust issues? Do you say it about your anger issues? Do you say that about your self-control issues? Do you say that about et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Do you say, man, you know what? No, like I am going to try and consume as much and taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to try and consume as much of his word as possible. I'm going to try and consume as much dialogue through prayer as I can. I'm going to try and consume as much of the community of Christ as I can, which will call me and convict me and bring about change in me by the power of the Spirit. Are you going to consume those things? Because those things you're called and mandated to consume for your own sanctification or are you content there to just stay in your sin? I know I can be. That's not okay. And so I want, to, want us to repent of that contentment and pursue a better contentment. And um, I've, get, I've, I've come up with a, um, a, f- uh, a five-step plan, okay? This will solve you, okay? Um, and, I, and I'm being facetious. This, this, what this does, I think, is helps us just go to God all the more. 
and acknowledge what we just saw in Philippians 2. And I know I'm running a scotch long here, but let me just wrap it up with this. Number one, understand yourself and your need. If you're a note taker, rock this. We'll probably put it on the blog because it's going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, number one, understand yourself and your need. Okay, so like Agar, man, I, I'm broken. I'm not, I'm not all that smart. I need help. Uh, number two, know God and pursue God. Um, from the book Chasing Contentment by Eric Raymond, he said this, contentment is the abiding amen of our joy. It speaks in the present tense saying, I am tasting and I am seeing that the Lord is good, right? That you're constantly taking of consuming him, like bringing him in, tasting and seeing and knowing and loving and rejoicing and doing all the things that help get there. So one, understand yourself for need. Two, know God and pursue God. Three, then ask God, like ask him like Agar does, right? So he acknowledges his brokenness. Then he says how great God is. He knows God. So he talks to God. He says, God, help me, Right? Tyler Johnson, our lead pastor, has this great line. He says, the greatest expression of humility is prayerfulness. And I love that. That the greatest expression of humility in our lives is prayerfulness. Not, I'll do this, right? It's, I can't, so let me talk to the one who can. It's a laying down. And so, number three is ask God. Number four, stop consuming so much. So after those things are happening, God's changing you. As you experience, you learn more about Christ who laid himself down, came into kind of this mess left behind, an earth, like a, a, a universal, like, beyond comprehension throne and kingdom, right, to come into this mess, that we begin to do the same. Stop consuming so much, right? But there's a, there's, a, there's a last part, and we saw it there in Philippians 2, and it has to be part of this. And the last part I'd say that you have to do if we want to experience change um, is start investing in being generous. Like if you just stop at the, I'm just not going to consume anymore. Like even if you've done the first four things, like you're knowing God, you know yourself, you're talking to God, you're praying, you're asking him to help you, you're learning stuff, and you're stopping consuming, and you stop there, you haven't gone far enough, and you're missing, I would say, the vital last step. And you need to start practicing generosity. You need to start practicing giving of yourself and your time and your talent and your treasure. Like giving stuff away. Stuff that you don't need and I don't need. And my house is full of it. And my bank account at times is full of it. Not a ton, but at times. And so sometimes I think God's probably saying, man, no, no, no. Let's redo some things here. You want to be serious about this contentment issue? then you have too much. And like Ager said, sometimes when you have too much, you forget me. And so what does it look like for us to, to really care about this and to step into this and to be a generous people based in a reality that we can be content because Christ is our fulfillment. He is our everything. He died to justify us, so we need not justify ourselves. This world cannot justify only the blood of Jesus. And because that is true, man, we can actually do this. And so that's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, I thank you, that you are who you say you are and you've done what you've done. Thank you that you are the perfect example, the perfect model. But you're much more than that, God. You didn't stop at just doing this great thing and showing us how to do it, God. You actually then, Holy Spirit, you like live in us. You're here with us. You now empower us to walk in this in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our insecurity, in the midst of our belief that changing our circumstance, God, will get me better things and more happiness and joy. God, man, Holy Spirit, I need you. We need you to convict us and counsel us otherwise. 
We need you to give us ears, Lord, and faith to hear you and believe when you speak that you are better and that you fulfill. God, that you call then us to much more than God just being really content with our brokenness and sin and not content with the rest of life. God, we live in, in, in what many would look at as a hopeless situation. But we thank you today, Jesus, because you are the hope of the world. And you give us hope this morning that we can actually live this type of life and experience the greatest joy possible because it's with you. So God, do your thing today. Bring conviction in our hearts. God, not, not just, God, not just like our willful, mindful ascents, God, but rather... And just this true change of our internal being, God, to find only contentment in you, never with our sin, and to pursue the mission that you've called us, God, to be a blessing to the world. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.